It's good to see you today in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. I want us to do something just before I preach this morning. Um, I just want to pray over a couple things that just came to our attention. I just thought it would be fitting if we took a moment and just prayed as a church body. Uh, prayed over Daryl Moore today. He's really in a fight for his life. And, but I believe prayer can change things. Amen. And I know there's some people in here that, that you're in need of a healing, a physical healing, an emotional healing, a spiritual healing. And I believe as we pray this morning, I believe that the power of God is going to come to your life. I know uh, we got news the other day. Diva had called my wife and shared with a, a young lady that had passed away in our community totally suddenly. And there's a lot of people hurting today just no answers for that, but I believe God still is the healer, and I believe something can happen when the church prays, amen? So why don't you just, if you don't mind, just stand to your feet, and we're just going to lift our voice in unity. I appreciate the worship team this morning. I appreciate my wife this morning all being sensitive so that we could posture ourselves in an attitude of worship so that God could do something, Amen. Hallelujah. So let's just lift our voice. Come on, let's just begin to cry. If you need healing today, there's an anointing in this room to touch you right where you're at, to touch your life, to touch your body, to touch your mind. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just declare today that you are the God that heals. Father, your word declares that you sent your word and you healed us. Lord, there are people that are battling in their bodies. There are people that are battling in their spirit. There are people that are battling in their emotional realm, in their mind today. But, Lord, we thank you that your word was sent. Your word was sent to bring healing into our lives. So, Father, we declare that today. We declare that over the atmosphere of this house. We declare it over every person in this place today. Lord, I pray today over Daryl Moore. God, as he lies in that hospital room fighting for every breath fighting for the miracle power of God to touch him. Lord, we stand in agreement today. We come against the spirit of death. We come against every attachment of the enemy over his life and over his body today. We speak life. We speak health. We speak wholeness. Lord, we speak restoration now in the name of Jesus. Lord, may the power of God visit that hospital room on a supernatural level. Move him beyond the place of where he's at. Lord, let it be such an amazing moment that even the doctors will be amazed at his turnaround. Even the doctors will be moved by the power of something unseen, unheard of, working in his body. Lord, we speak to every organ. We speak to everything that's attached to his body. We command his body to line up according to the word of God. Let the power of God touch him now in the name of Jesus. Help me pray this prayer. Help me pray this prayer, Lord. We bind the spirit of death. We bind the spirit of death over his body. Raise him up, God, for a testimony. Raise him up that you will use him for a testimony. And, Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. And we give you honor for that now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, just begin now to lift your hands and begin to thank him. Miracles are flowing. Miracles are flowing. Miracles are flowing. Hallelujah. Bodies are being touched. 
Hallelujah. 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 Come on, if you believe he's a, he's a God that heals, why don't you just give him praise in expectation? Why don't you just be giving thanks in expectation? He makes all things beautiful in time. He makes all things well in time. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel God. Hallelujah. I know sometimes you have to serve God by faith when you can't feel him. I get that. But I'm glad he's a God that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm like the woman with the issue of blood. I, I can serve God sometimes when I don't feel him, but I'm glad when I can feel when he touches my body. I'm glad I can serve a God that can touch. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't you just remain standing? We're going to go to the scriptures this morning. Go with me if you would, please. To Ezekiel, and I'll read it in just a moment. I got something heavy on my heart today, and I know we're going to run out of time really quickly today. I wrestled with this till after midnight last night. This will probably be for some, maybe not for everybody. This will probably be the most controversial message you've ever heard me preach. I won't say that in a sense that I've come to be controversial. I just think sometimes the word causes us to take sides. And we have to choose. And I'm concerned today with the direction of our nation. Our nation is hanging in the balance for its soul. And I'm very passionate. Most of you know me. I've been preaching in this church full time for 21 years. I'm not a novice. And I very rarely ever get intimidated to preach truth. Some people are going to think this is controversial, but I promise you, I preached a whole lot more controversial things than what I'm about to share with you today. But because of the political climate in our nation, it's causing people to take sides. You ain't got an amen man already. I know where I'm going. The, um, I'm very passionate when I preach. You know that. Some, one guy said to me, you just look mean and mad when you preach. No, I'm just passionate. I'm just passionate about what I'm saying. If you can't be passionate about what you do, do something else. I mean, if you ever see me in the woods, I'm passionate. I'm not going there to look at trees. I'm very passionate about hunting. I'm very passionate about my marriage. I'm passionate about my kids, my grandkids. I'm passionate about this church, and I'm passionate about our nation. And if for some reason, I'm just trying to put all this out there today because hopefully it'll help. If for some reason you think I'm trying to offend you, or if you think I'm sounding angry, 
at you. I'm not. In fact, this is the exact opposite. I'm not angry. I'm in love. I'm in love with you. I'm in love with this house. And there's going to come a day in all of our lives, including mine, when I'm going to have to stand and give an account to God for my life. And he's going to be, and he's going to hold me with a double accountability. That's what the word says. Stricter in judgment. Stricter judgment is going to be held on me double by what I preach. And I don't know about you. Pastor Carlos said a while ago, eternity is a long time. I don't want to live in hell. So that makes me more intimidated of God than people. But I am angry today. Don't make no mistake about that. I'm angry with principalities and powers. That's right. That's right. I'm angry at demonic forces that has literally hijacked a generation. Amen. And I'm angry. I know these don't sound very spiritual, but I'm mad. I'm mad at what the powers of hell has been able to do in the freest nation in the world. And I'm mad about it. I'm upset. I'm angry about it. I'm, I'm upset that the millennials have been hijacked. The Generation X and the Generation Z has totally been hijacked. It's a generation that is lost. The majority of them are lost. And because of that, things are floundering. I'm angry with politicians. Can I just be honest? I'm angry at politicians today who either knowingly or unknowingly are pawns of darkness rather than being angels of light and who are literally advancing the cause of a godless agenda that's literally, literally destroying our nation. I'm angry at him. And I'm angry at a lot of the church, not you, because we voted them in. And then we have to pray and curse and bind and rebuke over something that we empower. So I'm just saying that's why I refuse to be silent today. And you should refuse to be silent as well. It's time for the church to come alive and to come awaken to what's going on around us. Edmund Burke said this. You'll know this. This will probably be on the screen for you. He said, the guilt of America lies in the indifference and the complacencies of God's people. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Dietrich Baumhofer, who was alive during World War II, he said this. He said, Silence in the face of evil is evil, it's, 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 it's itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Diedrich Baumhofer, who was killed by the Nazi regime in 1945 at the age of 39, 
but at least he lifted up his voice. And today we're still studying his words. We're still studying what he did. He led the resistance against the German Nazi army in his day. It cost him his life, but his voice is still being echoed throughout the generations. And I just believe today the church has to understand where we're at. So with that, I'm probably going to preach to some maybe, maybe some that are listening by radio or the internet, whatever their means are. And I hope you know this today, church, that the audience that we have is broader than just what's sitting in this seat. And a lot of these messages get played and they get shared and they get passed around. We got people calling us from prison that's heard our messages. We got people that are writing and texting and, and just sending emails and telling us, man, people from all over the world. I get emails from Pakistan, India, and Africa all the time how these messages have touched their hearts. So our audience is a little bit broader than what we see sitting around us today. Amen? So if you would, go with me to Ezekiel chapter 43. And we're going to work on this today in the name of the Lord. Does this mic sound good to y'all out there? Does that sound all right? It sounds muffled. Sounds muffled. Sounds good. We got a divided congregation already. We were working on it. They tweaked it some. I think they're trying to help me up here. So it's uh, just a lot of work that we're doing. Ezekiel 43, verse number 1 says, And then he led me to the gate, to the gate facing towards the east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the vision were like the vision which I saw by the river Chabar. And I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up, and he brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house while a man was standing beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne. Talking about his house. And this is the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. And the house of Israel will not again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, who by their harlotry and by their corpse or their monuments, their kings, when they die, by setting up their threshold or their throne, by my throne or my threshold at the doorposts, beside my doorposts, with only the wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations which they have committed, so I've consumed them in my anger. Verse number 9. Now let them put away their harlotry and their corpse of their kings, or we could say their governments. For from me, and I will dwell among them forever. Put away their harlotry. Put away their idolatry. Put away the monuments of their governments. Verse number 12. This is the law of the house. Its entire area on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. I want to bring your attention back to verse number four. And the glory of the Lord came into the house. We've been talking about taking the territory. My subtitle this morning is, we're about to get the glory back in the house. 
Thank all three of y'all. I said the glory is about to come back to the house of the Lord. The glory of God is coming back to his house. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you this morning for what you're going to do. Holy Spirit, you're the absolute preacher, teacher, communicator. You're the revealer, the revelator of every truth, all truth. Lord, there is no truth apart from you. There's only theories and opinions. You are the truth. Lord, we thank you today for what you're going to do in hearts and lives. Thank you for what you're going to do in people today. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, I, I pray for an entrance. I pray for an entrance into men and women's hearts today. May the power of the Holy Spirit invade our hearts today and reveal the truth of the Father. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in this place. We thank you in advance, and we give you all the glory for it now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen, and amen, and amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. As we look and observe all around us today and we look at the condition of our nation, it's very evident uh, that we are not living in the same country that our grandparents once lived in. Uh, we are witnessing at warp speed the decline or the devolution of an entire nation. Literally, we are watching the unraveling of a culture right before our eyes. Right before our eyes, even spiritually, we're watching the unraveling of an entire culture. And while there has always been evil in the world, there's always been sin, there's always been bad things, there's always been sinful people, and there's always been sinful things everywhere in the world. And it used to be called that. It used to be called evil. It used to be called bad. It used to be called not good. Part of the problem has not been the opinions or the views of secular society that's shifting all the time. But part of the problem is that the views of the Christians are shifting with the times. Isaiah warned us about this in Isaiah 520. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. He said, watch out when you get to a culture that's like that because it's in trouble. We're living in a day where culture is constantly changing, and we get that from the world, and we understand the world is always going to be changing. But the problem that we're having in America in the 21st century church is that we seemingly are following the path of the world when it comes to shifting our views and our opinions. And as far as I know, God has never changed his mind about his word. As far as I know, God has never changed his mind about what he has. God has never looked at the polls to determine if his word was legit or not legit. He's never done it. We all grew up, ladies and gentlemen, if you're at least 40 and older. <laughs> Probably just eliminated half the congregation. If you're at least 40 and older, we all grew up saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We grew up 
reciting that, the question to me is not does religion and politics mix. The question comes to me is how do they mix? You know something is wrong when the Christian church gets divided over politics. You know something is happening in the Christian world that's not good, that's not right, when the church gets divided over political lines because God said, I am the Lord and I change not. I'm waiting on you. It's sad to say but very true that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America because of the political expediency often overrides the kingdom of God. More people are attached to their political parties than they are to the kingdom of God. I've heard a lot of lately through text, body language, eyes rolling. Uh, I've had people call me, had people talk to me, and they said, we believe preachers, churches should stay out of politics. Just stick with Jesus. Well, I'm trying to. As if Jesus is not involved in politics. But all throughout history, the history of civilization, churches and leaders had an influence in politics. It's really quiet in this Presbycostal church today. I'm going to get to where I'm going in a minute, but I'm just trying to lay a foundation. You have to know today, you have to know today that for us to remain silent is to give an upper hand to the enemy. And the reason why our nation is jacked up today is not because the world has become more evil. The world has always been evil. The reason why it's prevalent in our generation is because for way too long the church has been way too silent. Because we've allowed the political divisions to divide us rather than unite us. I don't care what, I don't care what party line you are. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent. I don't, it don't matter to me. It, I, I really don't. It's no, I, I, my allegiance is not to a party line. My allegiance is to the kingdom of God. I know I have to vote, and I know I have to put a vote down, and I'm going to have to vote for somebody. But at the end of the day, it's going to line up with somebody that is directly in line with the values of the kingdom of God. I don't care if grandma don't like it. I don't care if uncle don't like it. I don't care if my whole culture is against me. At the end of the day, I want to please God more than I want to please men. <whistles> Waiting on you. So I believe the church needs to be involved in politics. You cannot even preach about the seven mountains and the church not be in it. And that means that we have to spread our influence. It doesn't mean that the church is going to take over politics or government, but the church is going to empower men and women that understand the integrity and the character and the kingdom of God and place those people in authority so that they can hold the truths of the things that we value and make sure that we don't lose a generation to evil spirits that are running rampant. Here's a quick video. It won't take but just a few moments about us being involved. Guys in the back, won't you help me? Let's play that real quick. Were these men of God throughout history being too political? 1450 BC, Moses petitioned Pharaoh for the liberty of God's people, even calling down consequences when the king failed to comply. 870 BC, 
Elijah, in the name of the Lord, he challenged King Ahab and his advisors for their ungodly policies and practices. 29 AD, should John the Baptist have kept quiet rather than confronting King Herod about his immoral lifestyle, even though it cost him his ministry and even his life? 30 AD, when Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Was Jesus too political when he replied, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above? 31 AD, were Peter and John getting political when they publicly refused to comply with the governing authorities who told them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus? 54 AD, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus in such a way that it totally disrupted both business and politics in the region. 1775, in early America, would you have joined Pastor Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts, when he led his church and community to form a militia and face the British in the war for independence? 1830, be holy as God is holy. How political was second great awakening preacher Charles Finney when he passionately called for an end to slavery from the pulpit? 1954, was separation of church and state being honored when Dr. George McPherson Dougherty preached a sermon that convinced President Eisenhower to include under God in our Pledge of Allegiance? 1963, I have a dream. What about the civil disobedience of Baptist minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who led civil rights marches, giving his life for the cause? Were all of these men of God being too political or were they just being biblical? Were these men of God throughout history? So that's the question we have to answer. When we get involved and people say, well, the church is being too political. No, I just say we're being biblical. We're just being biblical. Those men that you just saw represented there, and there's tons of more, there's women even included. They put their, they put their life on the line. They put their voice out there. Slavery would not be freedom today had not somebody spoke it from the pulpits. Our nation would still be in chaos had the preachers have not stood up from their pulpits and began to declare what is right with God. In fact, there was a day back in the day that preachers every year, now they do it every four years seemingly, but every year they would stand in their pulpits and they would call out politicians by name, those who had good character and those who had bad character, those who represented the things of God and those who did not represent the things of God. All throughout our history, it was the churches it was the preachers that led the charge that helped shape the fundamental values of what we call a free nation. In the early formation years of our nation, it was pastors who led the charge from the tyranny of the British rule and empire, particularly the oppression and the freedom of religion during the Revolutionary War. It was pastors and churches that led the charge to break the tyranny rule of a land that was trying to sequester us. James or Jonas Clark, you just saw the picture of him there, who on 8, April the 19th, 70, 70, 1775, he formed the Minutemen Militia in Lexington, Massachusetts with 70 men from his congregation who fought and defeated the 700 British Battalion, the first battle of the American Revolutionary War. William Emerson, the father of Ralph Waldo Emerson, a pastor in Concord, Massachusetts, summoned 300 men in his congregation to fight against the British in the Battle of Concord. 
John Peter Mullenberg from Woodstock, Virginia, on January the 21st, 1776, who preached a sermon on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where he said there's a time and a season for everything. And when he got to verse number 8, he said there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And then he stood up and he said to his church, we are not in a time of peace. We are in a time of war. And he took off his clerical robe, and under it it was he had a uniform on of the Continental Army. And he walked to the back of his church, and he said to all the men in the church, who's with me? Because it's a time to fight. And 300 men stood up in his congregation and went out the door, and they formed the 8th Virginia Regiment of the Continental Army because they knew at that time this is not a time to be silent. This is not a time to be peaceful, but this is a time to fight. This is a time to fight for the generations. This is a time to fight for a nation. This is a time for the church to rise. So what went wrong? What went wrong? How did we get here as a nation where the church is divided over politics? Let me tell you a little bit about it. Part of it is we've been way too silent. We have placated to the political drumbeat and not taken the responsibility. And I'll take aim for preachers. Preachers have been way too silent. We have played to the political drumbeat because we didn't want to offend nobody. We didn't want to run nobody off. And so we played it safe. Now we got a nation in chaos. We expect the world to be the world, but the church should be united. The church should stand on the principles of God. But when the church became silent, evil began to manifest. When good men do nothing, evil begins to triumph. When you have a nation in chaos, where do you go to find solutions when you're experiencing a moral and social decline at the rate that is destroying the nation before the next generation ever has a chance to grow up? The answer to our nation is rooted in God's word. Unfortunately, when it comes to politics, too many Christians spend more time appealing to family Got three good amens right there. The rest of y'all, y'all know where you stand. When it comes to politics, we appeal to our family. We appeal to traditions. We appeal to cultures and ethnic expectancies. We appeal even to personal preference more than we do about what the Bible says. Many people want God bless America. They just don't want it to be one nation under God. The issue is you can't have one without the other. If you want God to bless America, then you need, you need to be a, an America that's under the hand of God. If, we, if we're going to sing God bless America, then we ought to be able to be, be promoting, God, we are one nation under you. I don't care what the world is doing. I'm talking about the church. The church is the one who carries the, church is the, one who carries the movements of God in the earth, not the world. God only promises the nation that recognizes his authority. Psalms 33, 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Freedom means that we get to control the choice, but not the consequences of the choice. And God will rule by endorsing the choices we make, or he'll rule by allowing us to have the consequences of the choices we made against him. Therefore, governments and the people of governments are always to reflect the will of God in the earth. And our responsibility as believers 
is to put people in places of authority who best reflect the will of God and the standard of his word. Dr. Tony Evans, who is a black pastor, one of my mentors, he's an author, speaker, he has community transformation, he does a lot on racial reconciliation, he teaches his churches at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship there in Dallas, or in the Dallas area in Texas. He started with 10 people in his living room, he has a church over 10,000. He's also the president of the Urban Alternative. He said this, this will be on the screen, he said, fundamentally, politics is an ethical enterprise based on what is right and what is wrong. There are vote, therefore, our voting should first and foremost be a spiritual issue. Our voting should be a spiritual issue. I ain't got no amens over here. I'm worried about y'all. Voting is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue. But the problem is God's government is being assaulted by the people that we have elected. Because when they don't hold the view of the Bible, when we, and sometimes you got to vote for the lesser two evils. I get it. I get that. But you ought to vote for the ones that are closest to the view of the Bible and not cultural expediency. When you don't, when, or when they don't hold the view of the Bible, which is God's will, somebody said, what is God's will? It's his word. His word is his will. So anybody that's outside the word of God is outside the will of God. I don't care how good they sound, how good they look, or how much they perform. If they are not holding to the standards of the truth of God's word, they are not in God's will. Every voting choice you exercise ought to be for the candidate, the platform, the party, or the policy that will represent the values of God's kingdom. This will be on the screen. Any candidate or any platform that is against the Bible, is against what the Bible is for, should never have a validated or be validated by a vote. I know y'all came here for a Holy Ghost blowout. You're getting it right here. Because you get our nation right, we're going to have some Holy Ghost blowout. What about the separation of church and state? It's a good question. The problem is it don't exist. Well, I was told that there's a separation between church and state. No, there's not. The phrase is not found anywhere in the founding documents. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. It's not in the Constitution, nor is it in the Bill of Rights. So where did that phrase come from? Where did the phrase separation of church and state? Well, in 1802, Thomas Jefferson, who was a president at that time, he wrote a personal letter to the Danbury Baptist Association in Danbury, Connecticut, in a response from a letter that, had written, that they had written to him about the First Amendment. He said to the Danbury Baptist Association, he said, guys, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the First Amendment. It's in place, and it's in place to protect you from the government intrusion or overreach. In that letter, he said, it'll be on the screen. He says, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of whole America people 
which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Here's what he was saying. He was saying never again will there be a government-sponsored church like what you had in England where everyone was forced to attend and support. The separation of church and state does not exist. We made it exist through bad politicians. Here's what your First Amendment says of the Constitution of the United States adopted on December the 15th, 1791. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And there's a few more things, even like the right to assemble. That's why I had a fit when they said they're going to shut churches down. I said, that we got a constitutional right. We got to, well, you don't, you can't meet. Watch, watch, watch. You can't gather together. Watch, watch. We have a constitutional right that's held by law. You are not Jesus Christ. You may be Caesar, but you are not Jesus. And we refuse to bow to anything other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord, not the government. He's the king. Not the government. Nowhere in the amendment or any portion of our Constitution does it say anywhere mention the separation of church and state. That happened, those words came out 150 years later when it was twisted and used to remove God from the public square and to remove God from governmental influence. That amendment was written to keep, wasn't written to keep the church out of government. It was written to keep the government out of the church. That's why it was written. So you need to go tell all your crazy, jacked up, unrevelated friends that way you got to keep the church separate. No, the church better get involved or you're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your grandkids. You're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose the sovereignty of a nation. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. And just so you'll know, in case because I get, I get, you know, I, we got people that ain't coming today because they think I'm too political. But just so that you know, the church is not trying to legislate morality. We're just trying to stop the legislation of immorality. Immorality. Today in our society, Christians have been intimidated by people like the ACLU who talk so much about the separation of church and state to the point that Christians believe it. Never appears in the Constitution. However, it does appear in the Marxist Communist Manifesto. You don't think China and Russia has their eyes on us? You have lost your mind. And you don't think we got politicians that ain't entertaining that? You have lost your mind. Most of the politicians that we have in Washington now are bought. There's a price tag on their head and they're for sale. They'll sell you out. They'll sell anybody out just for a little bit more power. In our text today, the prophet Ezekiel comes to us and he's addressing the fact that God's glory has left, the, has left the temple. And the reason why God's glory has left the temple 
is because his people has turned, his, turned their back on God. But the portion that we read was the fact that God was returning back. The reason why God was returning, because God had to leave. I don't know about you, but I want God to come back. I want God to come back in our nation. Because there was no glory in the temple, there was no more glory in the land. Think about it. We have no glory in our land because our churches have lost their glory. And I'm taking this hit for preachers. I'm taking, I, I put my name, I'm in that battle, I'm with them. We're taking our hit because we have reduced the word of God down to nickels and noses. And how fast can we get you in? How fast can we get you out? We try and preach not to offend nobody. But ladies and gentlemen, there is too much at stake. There is too much that we have paid the price for. One of the reasons why God's presence had left because the kings, the government, had been allowed to put their throne next to God's throne. They were allowed to put their rulership next to God's rulership. They were allowed to put their authority next to God's authority. And God says, I ain't having it. I'm gone. Handle it by yourself. Sort of looks like America right now, don't it? God made it clear that his house was to only have one throne. But the nation had put their kings in his house, and they did not honor God. And they were treating their kings as equal to God. Watch this. They had allowed their politics to interfere with his rule. In our day, they call it partisan politics, secularism, narcissism, when they put their law in God's house. That's why God's glory had to leave. And that's why the land was filled with unrest and chaos. I understand the world being divided. I get it. Not the church. My allegiance is not to a party. If your allegiance is to a party, you're doing the kingdom of God a disservice. When you became born again, you changed your allegiance. In fact, the Bible says you've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into his marvelous light. When you became born again, your allegiance should go to the king. And he is full authority. He is all rule. He is all power. He is all might. And everything under him is less than him, not equal to him. He said, you have allowed your politics to intrude in my house. Understand that when the governments, the kings, came in, they brought, the Bible says, their abominations with them. When their kings came in, they brought their view of things. They brought, the Bible says, their holler tree. They brought their idolatry. They brought in the mixing of relationships that was illegitimate between the church and the state, between God and government. They brought in their views. That's exactly what's going on in our nation today. They want the church to conform to their views. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to help us. We got to get a backbone like a log. We got to get a voice like a triumph and begin to lift our voice and say, we refuse to bow and cower to the drumbeat of this world. We are different. We are cut above. We've been anointed by an all-holy God. We are not like everybody around us. It's not that we're better than anybody else, but we don't march to that drumbeat. 
the temple was God's throne. It's the throne where he rules, not your party. God was saying, in this house is my throne. I run the show. If you don't let me run the show, I'm out of here. I'll let you run the show. We'll see how that works for you, Israel. We'll see how you fare out, Israel, after you spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. We'll let you see how long you want to hold out, Israel, when I let you go into Egypt for 400 years. We'll let you see how long you can hold out, Israel, when I let the Philistines overtake you, when I let the Assyrians overtake you. Because if you're going to put their throne next to my throne, I'm out of here. Handle it by yourself. But I believe there's got to be a generation somewhere. There's got to be a generation that will rise and say, we're not going to have it on our watch. We're not going to have it in our day. We are a people that love God. Understand today God is not against government. God was the one who established it. But it wasn't established to compete with him. It was established to serve him. Look with me in Romans 13. Y'all got a moment? I'm preaching so fast and hard, I can't even believe that how fast the time is moving. Romans 13, verse number 1, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist, talking about authorities, have been established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed it will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Understand, understand, the goal of government is to act on God's behalf, promoting good and punishing evil. The fundamental goal of government is to promote good in society and to limit evil from proliferating, expanding, multiplying. That's the goal of government. In any government, that gets out of the line with the will of God, we don't obey. Got about four amens right there. I knew that would hit you hard. Because we think, well, we got to be subject to the ruling authorities. It's right there in Romans 13. We are subject as long as they are in line with the will of God. But the moment they cross the will of God, that's why Paul and Peter and all those guys were threatened and beaten and thrown into prison. Peter and John looked at back at their, 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 all the leaders and authorities and said, listen, it's better to us to obey God rather than it is to obey men. If you're going to beat us, beat us. If you're going to throw us in prison, throw us in prison. But we are not going to quit serving God. We came to serve him. I'm not mad, I'm just passionate. It's just an intense behavior, that's all it is. As believers, it's our responsibility to elect leaders that best reflect the law of God. That's what he said to you, this is my house, the law of God is in my house. Not your laws, not the laws of your kings or your governments, it's my law. So as believers, our responsibility is to elect leaders 
that reflect the law of God, that will promote good and limit evil. It's a right and a privilege that you and I have to vote for policies and procedures that will cultivate good. And just, and I know you know it, most of you in here know it. If you don't vote, you, don't, you shouldn't complain. If you don't vote, don't say nothing. Live with it. You're part of the problem. Save your text and send them to Pastor Carlos. There are three truths concerning governments. Number one, this will be on the screen. Government cannot properly do its job without the church. How do governments of the world determine good and evil? Left to their own, governments often get it wrong. Government needs informed Christian citizens to provide a standard for what the Lord has called good and what the Lord has called evil. Number two, law matters. The law has never been able to save anybody. And we are free from the penalty of sin, but the moral law comes from the character and the nature of God. Standing as a teacher and a shaper of culture, godly leaders pass laws that help guide society to see what is right and to protect people by making it more difficult to sin. But when you endorse and make sin legal, and you voted that because of your cultural ethnicity or your brother likes them, your family has always voted that way, praise the Lord, saints. Number three, you get to choose. This is one of the unique things that we have as Americans. Not everybody gets to vote in other nations of the world. We do. As Americans, we are a government by, of, and for the people. So we get the privilege of choosing those who serve in government. As Christians, we also know that God expects us to be good stewards of this opportunity and to select the best, the most qualified to serve, serve as ministers in government. Our right to vote is a gift that God has given us to honor him. When you elect bad government, evil is increased and we pay the price as a society. Now, this is going to help somebody maybe, or this is where you're really going to be offended. <laughs> I ain't got but four minutes left before y'all check out, so I'm all right. You know, that magic dinner bell goes off. Electing officials can never, never be about a personality. I can't vote for them because I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way you talk sometimes. We still put up with your craziness. <laughs> Electing officials is never about personality. It's not a personality contest. Electing officials should always be about policy and procedures. It would be awesome if we get them both. Good personalities and good policies. But I'm I don't wanna I don't wanna mess your world up today. 
But that probably won't happen until Jesus comes back and puts his foot back on this planet physically. That's probably about the only day we're going to get them both together. Because somebody's going to fail somewhere along the way. Somebody's going to blow it somewhere along the way. Somebody's not always going to be caught up in the third heavens. Every nation rises and falls on policies, not personalities. We can't allow politics to dictate the kingdom of God. Let me show you something real quick in Joshua. This, I think I was preaching two or three weeks ago, and this came up. It wasn't on my notes, but it came out of my spirit. And, it, and man, I just had, when I was working last night and some this week, it, it, it really just came illuminated in me. Joshua chapter 5, verse number 13, Joshua had just led the children of Israel across the promise, uh, across the Jordan River. They were invading the promised land where they had all these enemies that were out there, seven nations more powerful than they were. They were invading the promised land to root out the enemies, to overthrow the enemies of the land. And the first place that they came to was Jericho. And in verse number 13 says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite to him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. What kind of answer is that? Are you for us or for them? No. <laughs> no. Rather, I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, bowed down, and began to say, what has my Lord have to say to his servant? Understand the context. Joshua is a warrior. Joshua is a fighter. Joshua would cut your head off. Joshua had a promise embedded in his heart that he would possess the promised land. He was one of the 12 spies that went in and came back with a good report. He and Caleb came back with a good report. The other 10 said, we can't do it. We can't take it. And their report, the Bible called it an evil report. Their report began to spread through the camp of Israel. And so now two and a half million people had a bad report. The Bible says it was an evil report, and Joshua had to sit there with a bunch of whiny, no good, don't want to conquer nothing kind of people for 40 years. Had to walk in a wilderness for 40 years because nobody wanted to stand up to the cultural demands of their day. And he said, all right, I'm going to walk around. I can't do nothing about it. I'm just going to walk with you. But I got a promise in my heart. And when Joshua got ready, he said, when that, when that generation died off, Joshua and Caleb began to work with the children's church. I told you a couple weeks ago, I'm going to start preaching in the children's church. I'm going to find a generation that's passionate. I'm going to find a generation that wants to go for God. I'm going to find somebody that will believe God over the powers of hell. I'm going to find somebody. 
And Joshua walked in there, and he's about ready to invade Jericho. He's got his men all rallied around him. They are just like green-eyed. They are ready to go for the promised land. They have waited. Joshua and Caleb had waited 40 years for this moment, and they're standing on the verge of going to war. Then all of a sudden, this magnificent giant of a man shows up, and he's got a sword drawn. Joshua's like, hey, I need to find out right now. You for us or for them? Because your answer is going to determine my position. If you for us, we're going to be all right. We'll take you, we'll let you hang out with us. If you for them, we're going to have to amp up our fighting. We want to know, are you going to run with us? Or are you going to run with our adversaries? And the captain of the host of the army of the Lord said, No. What kind of answer is that to a warrior? In other words, I can imagine, make up your mind, man. He said, I didn't come for you. I didn't come for your enemies. I came for the Lord. I don't have to choose. You have to choose. I don't have to find a place to fight. You better find a place to fight with. It ain't up to me to make a choice. It's up to you to make a choice. And I came to tell the 21st century church right here on the southwest corner of Lake Okeechobee, you got a choice. You got a choice. Are you for yourself? Are you for your enemies? Are you going to be for God? If you're going to be for God, then God's sake, get on the Lord's side. Get on the Lord's side. Amen. Amen. Just said, I, I, oh, 12.03, that's why you stood. Thank you. <laughs> I, if y'all, I, I know y'all think, well, if I preach him down, he'll let us go. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of wind. Y'all know that. Here's the translation of the angel of the Lord, the captain of the host of the Lord's army. I'm not here to take a side. I'm here to take over. what God's trying to say to the church. If you're going to make me take a side, I'm going to walk out of your temple. You make me take a side, I'm going to walk right up out of your political party's nonsense. But if you're going to get on my side, we'll take every enemy in front of you and we'll overthrow them. No matter how big or how small or how long the battle will last, we'll overthrow them. In the past... Let me just say it this way because I know we got to go now. I know I'm not nowhere where I need to be, but it's okay. Until we understand and really get a revelation, God doesn't come riding on the backs of a donkey or an elephant. He has his own throne. And he makes his own rules. Now, in the past, when we would have to vote, sometimes the goodness would come out of Republicans, and sometimes the goodness of God would come out of Democrats. I was talking to Karen last night. My, my good buddy, Donald Williams, called me at 10.30 last night. I don't know why the heck you called me at 10.30. I got things to do. And we got to talking. I said, there was a day 
in America, when it came to electing our presidents, there was just a few little issues between the Democrats and the Republicans. It was more of a philosophy thing, just the way they would govern. It wasn't this gap. There was just a few things, like, and, and you really could have voted for either one because I was telling Donald last night, it, it's like, it was like a marriage. Like, Karen and I are in covenant for the good of the welfare of our family. It's a marriage. That's our vision. To get to our vision, there's a few philosophical differences on how to get there. She sees things certain way, and I see things certain way. But the end goal is to make sure our family is moving in the right direction. And that's the way it used to be in America. You, you, had, uh, you had these Democrats and you had these Republicans, and, and they had these few philosophical, I can't even say the word, it don't matter. It had these differences. And, and, and it was just a little bit of tweaking here and a little bit of tweaking there, and there wasn't no evil to it. It was just the thought process on how you govern a thing. But now we're living in a different day, and you got to hear this preacher. We're living in a different day, and I don't, this is where I'm going to make some of you really mad probably. We're living in a day where the Democratic Party is full of evil. I'm saying it with all the understanding. It, it's got malicious intent. And I'm not trying to say the Republican Party is the Savior. The Republican Party is about as jacked up as any other party we've ever known, except for one thing. There are platforms and policies that relate more to the will of God than what's in the Democratic Party. So in the past, we'd have to choose sides. And this, this, I know, and I, I got some of the most amazing friends that are Democrats. And I, I told Karen this the other day. I don't understand it. We got Democrats in this house. I don't, I'm not mad at your position. Because everybody can learn. Most of our decisions, hopefully, are made ignorantly. Ignorantly doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you're uninformed. And I don't understand how the life of me, a church body, gets divided over politics when we should be united over the word. This is Dr. Tony Evans again. Man, he's just one of my heroes. Man, I love this guy. I, I love to meet him one day. It's just, he's had so much influence in my life when it comes to politics and, and even preaching. He's just a, a, a strong preacher. He said the problem becomes when we get so committed to a king or a government or a political persuasion, just because you're more socially sensitive and concerned about justice, doesn't give you the biblical right to overrule the throne of God on that issue. How powerful. Because we, 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 take up, we take up causes because of what we think is not right. And we have to line that what's not right up with the Bible. 
When you become so committed to a political persuasion, regardless of the fact that it competes with the throne room of God, to the point that our pulpits have become and turned into political playgrounds instead of representing the word of God. Now, I told you up front, we're going to close. I know we got to go. I really don't mean to keep you past 12 o'clock. But I told you from the beginning, I've been preaching here for 21 years full time. I've been here since the beginning of the church for 30 years. You can count the amount of services I missed on your hands in 30 years. I've been here. I've been here. And I've preached in front of this house for 21 years consistently. Average 48 times out of 52 Sundays out of a year for over 20 years. Not counting back when we had Wednesday nights. I'm not trying to earn your trust. If you don't trust me now, you're lost. I don't have nothing to prove here. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have no, nothing in this fight other than we need to get the church to be awakened. Because we got a nation that's at stake. And for me, it really don't matter. Our church is multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-party line. And for me, I want all the Republicans in here. I want all the Democrats in here. I want all the independents in here. But just know when you come in here, it ain't your rules. It's God's rules. It's not even my rule. Somebody asked me today, well, what do you think about this? I said, I don't have that luxury. I don't have the luxury to get into a dialogue and give you my opinion. As a minister of the Word of God, I have to give you what the Bible says. I don't have the luxury of telling you, well, this is what I think. This is what the Bible says. If you ever come into counseling with me, God help you if you do. Because I'm not a counselor. Because all I'm going to say is, what does the Bible say? Well, this is what, then go and do it. It's that simple. Just obey God and your life will get freed up on multiple levels. <laughs> we all live in a place. We all live in a house, right? We live somewhere, right? Got three, well, I, rest of y'all hobos out there. <laughs> I'm sure, I know y'all thinking about going, me too. I know, I'm, I'm hungry too. I'm sure... In your house, you have certain rules that you live by. In your house, there are certain rules that you govern your house by. Am I right about it? If you don't have rules in your house, you need to get some. And those in your house operate by your rules. I used to tell my kids all the time, both my girls, listen, you don't pay no bills here. You don't pay no bills. You sleep on a bed you didn't pay for. You soaking up air conditioning you didn't pay a light bill for. You eating food you didn't go to Walmart and buy. You sleeping up in a free house. And if you're sleeping up in my free house, I got rules. I got rules in my house. You got a right to talk, but it don't mean I'm going to obey it. In my house, there are my rules. <laughs> I 
And my rules, watch, don't change just because I get company. My rules, my house. Let me flip it. My house, my rules. God's got a house. God's got rules. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. There ought to be some rules to your house. And just because company comes over, don't change the fact that there are rules in my house. It, it, some, now, it, if your teenager brought home their friends and they go to cussing up in there, I can tell all the ones that got rules. <laughs> or, or you, you crazy, I'll slap your lips up against the wall. Teenagers ain't going to come in my house cussing. Watch. You ain't going to come in my house listening to what you want to listen to. You ain't even going to come in my house and watch what you want to watch. You ain't going to come up in my house drinking Jack Daniels or whatever y'all like. I don't know. You're not going to do it. My house, my rules. It don't matter who comes in. Well, if you're like that, can you imagine how God needs to be like that? You're not going to let all that cussing, drinking, carrying on come up in your house and taint the environment of your house. It's God's house, God's rules. We ought to protect it. We ought to guard it. We ought to watch over it. Now, when I was growing up, if my buddy, Donald Williams, got a spanking, guess what got one with him? If he got a whooping in his house, there was coming a whooping in my house. Because somewhere along the line, you're in it. We get mad at preachers because they hold the church accountable. We get mad because are we being political or are we being biblical? Your house functions with rules that can't change. And so does God's house. And just because you go and vote, you go to work doesn't mean that the rules of the house change because of the people that are around you. The church has lost the law of the house. But I believe in this generation we're getting it back. I believe that. Come on, Pastor Porter. I know we got to go. I got some really good stuff here coming up next week. We've been letting people run our house. We've been letting sector media run our house. We've been letting politicians run our house. And we wonder why there's no more glory in the house. We wonder why our nation is teetering on the brink of a civil war. This will be on the screen for you. Martin Luther said, if I be valiant all along the battle line, except at the point where Satan presses his attack, I am not valiant for Christ. Listen to the way Jesus said it in Mark 8. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. I don't vote because of political persuasion. I really don't. I've had family members that ran for office and I wouldn't vote for them. I've had them. I've had good friends that ran for office and I wouldn't vote for them because I know their character. And some of them 
because I knew they probably weren't qualified to handle the work and it would destroy them. I don't vote because of personalities. I vote because of the platforms. And if the platform, and I was gonna show you that if we had time, I was gonna show you platforms and party lines just to give you a clean view that I'm not making stuff up. But we as the people of God, we are the law of the house, this house. God's going to hold the church, that's right, the accountable. He's going to hold the church accountable by what we elect. When you elect evil, it runs rampant. And Karen and I have made decisions along the way. We've been married for 36 years. I, we even, we, I, I even do research on the amendments. I do research on the judges. I don't just walk in there blindly and just check or anything. We do the research. We find out the facts and the platforms. And if they don't line up with God, and we take a cheat sheet. We all hear it. You've heard it on the commercials. You get it in your mailbox every day. Your vote matters. You better believe it does. You better believe it does. It matters who we put in office. It matters how we vote. If you want to live a peaceful life where good is pushed, or if you want to live under tyranny and evil that becomes multiplied, rampant, it all boils down to policies. There are many policies out there that you need to take note of. So my message today, I'm going to end it way different than the way I had it in my heart. But I want to challenge you today as the people of God. Early voting in Florida started last Monday. Go vote. Well, I ain't got time. You got time. You got time. You put it in your schedule and you go vote. We got one more Sunday and then the election happens. Ladies and gentlemen, our nation is teetering. We can just like, well, it's going to be all right. God is in control. God is rarely ever in control. He's reduced his sovereignty to the affairs of men. Now, he is sovereign and he can overturn anything. And he has and he will. But he doesn't do it all the time. If God was in control, the children of Israel would have never went into bondage. If God was in control, the children of Israel would have never spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. The people were in control because they pushed God out of the house. They said, we want governments. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want the king of all kings. Come on, stand to your feet all over this building. Hallelujah. Lord, we're a people of your great pasture. Lord, we know even the church don't always get it right. There's two things that the church can always do. We can pray and we can vote.
The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, Lord, we just, can we take about 30 seconds and just pray? Lord, we just pray over our nation today. Our nation is in a struggle. Families are being torn apart, divided over a political environment. People are hurting. People are struggling over overreach of governmental authorities. God, we just pray today, Lord, we, all we can do is be obedient in the times that we're in. And so, Father, we just pray today. You said if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek your face. If we would turn from our wicked ways, that you would hear from heaven and you will forgive us of our sins and you would heal our land. God, I pray today that you would heal our land. God, I pray today as we stand in the gap between heaven and hell, as we stand in the gap between a freedom of a nation and the loss of our freedoms, I pray today for the hand of God to move in America. Come on, will you help me pray? God, would you bless America again? God, would you turn your face to America again? God, we repent. We repent of the sin of harlotry. We repent of the sin of idolatry. We repent of the sin of chasing political lines and boundaries. God, would you turn our nation as we turn our hearts. God, we cry out. We cry out today. Save us, God. Heal us. Forgive us. Renew a right spirit, God. Pray today in the name of Jesus. Come on, I feel strength rising in the house. I feel strength rising in the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It won't always, it won't always be this free if God don't turn it. We won't always have what we have if God don't move. There's a desperation in our cry. Pray for our land. We pray for those in office. We pray for those running. God, you said that you will raise one up and put one down. God, empower the righteous. Empower those who have a heart for you. Snatch others down pull them down. We bind the spirit of witchcraft. We bind the spirit of Jezebel. We bind the ruling and ranking principalities over Washington, D.C. We bind their powers today. May this nation rise up and fulfill its destiny. Let the millennials in this generation see the goodness of God. Let the generation Z and the generation X Feel the power of God. Let the church come on fire. Let the church come on fire. Let us come alive. Let us come alive in his presence. It's the law of the house.
protection. We want your guidance. We want your rulership. people on both sides of the aisle in this house and they good people yes absolutely absolutely just because you're republican don't mean you're a racist right. and just because you have a democratic ticket don't mean that you hate god come on that's right we got people on both sides of the aisle yes we do and we all got to stand before god with a clear conscience one day by what we did. But in this house, there's either Jew nor Gentile. That's right. That's right, Pastor. Free nor bound. Male or female. We're in God's house together. That's right. That's right. There's no political lines in the house of God. Come on. Somebody asked me the other day, how come you don't really promote, you know, voters, guides, and things like that. I said, you don't know me. I preach as hard as I can at least 48 times out of the year, and I preach the Word of God. If people ain't got enough in them by then, that ain't on me. Now, if you were to come and ask me, what does this mean, what does that mean, who do I vote for, I've got stacks of material that will blow your mind and I'd give you everything I got. But I'm reverent, I'm reverent, because not everybody in here is a Republican. And I know if you were the pastor, you'd do it your way, but you ain't. I'm telling you, because I get it all the time. Why don't you say this? Because everybody under my care is on a journey. And we're going to help lead people the right way and not run them off because we're going to stand and die on a hill called party lines. That's right. I'm not going to do it. Now, I done told you there's a Democratic Party this year that has lost their way. That leaves you no options on where you need to vote. I'm saying that, and I, I'm telling you, 97% of the pastors in America won't tell you what I just told you. When you come in here, you're going to get the law of God. You're going to get the truth of God's word. 
Because at the end of the day, what matters is that he gets glorified with our life. Amen. I want to pray this prayer because there are people in here that has to cross lines to vote certain ways. And they feel the pressure. I mean, it's pressure. It's pressure. Let's pray that God gives people strength to do what's right in his eyes and not in people's eyes. Father, we pray for our brothers and our sisters on both sides of the aisle who have to contend with family, who have to contend with ethnic diversities, who have to contend with cultural traits, who have to contend with family lineages. This is the way we vote. This is the way we've always voted. And you got to vote this way. Lord, we just contend for those people that are being torn, who feel the pressure. God, I pray for strength to rise. That's all we can do, Lord. We just pray for courage to rise in them. Lord, you give them the conscience. You give them the ability to exercise their own free will. May they make choices that are in line with you. Lord, may they have a personal commitment to please you, no matter what side of the aisle they're on. God, at the end of the day, we have to stand before you. We have to make right, holy judgments that are in accordance with your word. And Lord, we thank you for that today. Thank you today for touching people's hearts. Thank you today for touching people's lives, Lord, even healing that took place. Thank you today that the Spirit of God has been moving all throughout this service. Lives are being touched. Lord, we give you praise and we give you glory for it all now. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen. Come on, can we just give God a big shout of praise like we love him? Amen. We love him. We love him. Amen.